0: Ladies and gentlemen, our next event of the evening is a one-fall match with a 60-minute time limit.
1: Big
0: boys play. All right. Go on. Are you ready? Yep. Go on. Thank you f- Oh, you ready? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Where the Big Boys Play podcast. This is part two of our discussion of the Great American Bash, nineteen eighty seven.
1: Thanks a lot, Chad.
0: Okay, I think that's gonna be my routine go to <laughs> line. It did sound totally terrible <laughs> on the other one, so <laughs> Sort of wrote it down verbatim. <laughs> <laughs> just switch up the uh, switch up the name it's like the road dog when he would introduce the new age outlaws <laughs> he'd go through his spell and just have to change the name of the city yeah <laughs>
1: Let's move on to the next match. We've got um, three birds. That is Michael Hayes, Terry Gordy, and Buddy Roberts here. All three of them as faces um, against Ivan Koloff, Manny Manny Fernandez, and Paul Jones. Now you may be wondering, where is Vladimir Petriov? Pietrov? (laughs) Uh, Why isn't he tagging with Ivan uh, Ivan Koloff? Um, And I couldn't help but notice that in the Wrestling Observer, um, Meltzer tells us that uh, Pietrov has some legal problems. So I followed this up. What were Pietrov's uh, legal problems? Um, Well, he was convicted of selling cocaine and running an illicit massage parlor um, called the Golden Carrot in Richfield, Minnesota. And he received 15 years in prison. <laughs> um, now he was released in 1991, um, and um, his Wikipedia entry claims that he worked for WWF, but after some time searching around, um, that appears that it was not true. Um, Petrov never. Uh, wrestled again after coming out, you know, he was just done with the wrestling business uh, after his stint in jail. Um, Now, there's two little trivia points about uh, Pietrov. (laughs) Um, Firstly, he was actually a last-minute replacement for uh, John Nord, um, also known as the Berserker in WWF, who was originally going to be the... uh, New partner for Ivan Koloff, but for whatever reason, backed out at the last minute. So they found this uh, guy who was working as a bouncer and uh, gave him the gig instead. <laughs> um, and the other thing is that his um, his um, wife <laughs> is known as uh Kara Nelson. Have you heard of Kara Nelson, Chad? I have not. <laughs> she she is a female bodybuilder. Um, who specializes in making videos where she beats up smaller men. And I think these videos are of a kinky nature. So, (laughs) Um, and so, Kara Nelson is apparently in that kind of female bodybuilder, slightly kind of pervy world of men who like female bodybuilders, is uh, apparently one of the biggest stars in that arena. So, there we are. Um, And uh, Pietrov his real name's Al Blake, um kind of I think works you know, helps her do that and manages her. Um so, uh that's where Pietrov is. Um so as this match starts, uh, Michael Hayes um really plays to the crowd. Um he 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 does a strut, he does a moonwalk, which uh, a very impressive moonwalk, um then he stomps and uh, he actually does a pretty effective job of pumping up the crowd here. Um, Manny Fernandez is not impressed, um, but Hayes gives him two body slams, stomps off some more. Um, he wants Paul Jones to come in, gives Fernandez an arm bar, uh, tags in Roberts, uh, who works the arm some more. Uh, I thought Roberts was looking a bit old and flabby at this point. Do you agree with that, Sam? Yeah.
0: yeah, he looked like he was on his way down. Um, I love Buddy, but even, I mean, I don't, I don't know how old he was here, but even in 1982 in world class, he looked like he was 50 years old <laughs> in yeah. his face. Uh, but here he definitely looked uh old and on the way down as far as athletic wise.
1: Yeah, de- definitely. He he seemed like he was probably too old to be in this match. I haven't said that i mean ivan koloff is also in the other corner still wrestling um he um so we get um roberts is going to be our um facing trouble here and ivan koloff comes in on uh, offense um then we get Jones, then we get gordy and there's pandemonium um and the ref has just lost control of this one gordy gets the 3 on Jones, in the middle of all this chaos, after an elbow um, and a leg drop. What did you think of this match?
0: Um, Quickly, I just looked it up, and Buddy would have been 43 wow. when this match happened. Uh, he, he, you know, he retired looks, the next year, so this at was kind of the end of the road.
1: He looks at least 10 years older than 43.
0: Yeah, well, like I mean, like I said, in 1982, he'd have been 37, and uh, he, you know, he looked like my grandfather <laughs> in these matches. I mean, he looks 50, 55 years old. Uh, this match heavily clipped again. I love the Freebirds; uh, they're one of my personal favorites, especially Michael Hayes, yeah. just a great, uh, larger than life character. I Actually, thought uh. Ivan and Manny and Paul Jones weren't as offensive as uh, we had seen them in other events, Mm -hmm. uh, in other shows. Uh, So what we saw here, which again was only about three minutes, hot tag to Terry Gordy was, uh, you know, not not much to it. It was kind of interesting to see the Freebirds' faces, uh, just because... Most of the time, I, I associate them first and foremost as heels, but uh, to see them as faces, you know, obviously they're from Bad Street USA, which is Atlanta, Georgia. That's where they're built from. Uh, so, kind of a hometown pop when they win. So it, it was n- nothing offensive.
1: No, I mean it was perfectly fine. I think Hayes is one of the best at getting at working a crowd, and you can see that at the start of this match.
0: Yeah, he can really uh I mean, talk about, you know, somebody that we just talked about, Murdoch, that, you know, is very good at that too, but Hayes is just masterful at at really being able to rally up a crowd, uh, either for or against him. Uh, you know, almost to near riot. He has that ability just in his personality and the way he conveys himself to really get a crowd worked up.
1: Yeah, I mean one of the things I've never understood about Hayes how is this guy this guy that we see here responsible for what we see on TV now? Cuz he's like the head of their creative team or something, right? Well,
0: he yeah, he's he's uh he, he's mainly one of the head writers for SmackDown. Right. Um he's on the SmackDown writing staff which has had some good a solid programming, just nothing groundbreaking. Um, I mean, I think he kind of associates that show with his, uh, you know, with a kind of territory type show where everything's kind of, I mean, it's kind of tough to explain, but there's a lot of low tech. I mean, if you watch current WWE programming, mm-hmm. there's there's no mistaking what's the A show in the minds of you know, the higher-ups in WWE, it's raw. Yeah. So, uh, you know, he seems to be working with SmackDown a couple years ago with with longer wrestling matches, kind of simpler angles. I, I mean, I, th- I think he's still doing a decently effective job. I think he would work better with somebody else that he could, you know, really play off ideas of. I know uh, Christus Joseph, when he was a head writer there, he worked a lot with SmackDown. Um, so I think Michael Hayes definitely has a place where he could be a good asset currently, uh, even on the writing team, but as far as being a showrunner or the main person, maybe not.
1: Yeah, no, but I, I mean, I, I was just thinking more generally, like, I mean, a lot of the problems, in fact, there's been a thread today where people are talking about the problems with current WWE on uh, pro wrestling only, and a lot of them are kind of very easy to, to see, and I've, I've Seen, hey, Hayes. Hayes is on pretty much all of those Legends of Wrestling um, roundtable shows, and he's you know fairly open and critical of um, certain things on that show. So he can obviously see them, but at the same time, he's you know he's one of the people who's responsible for um, for the output. So, like, can he do something about fixing it? But, yeah, know, I, I mean, I, th- I just think it's very tough
0: to uh, really. I mean, I. It's it's one of those things where, you know, that's really been talked about lately, and you see the threads every once in a while and how to change the current product. And, I mean, quite simply, I just think you won't know it till it's there. You know what I mean? It's not yeah. like in 1993, everybody was sitting around talking about how we needed, a, you know, an NWO-type angle or mm. a Stone Cold-type character. It's just... There's certain things, moments in time, I think, where characters catch on. Uh, You know, that's not to give WWE a pass, because I think they've definitely had some instances in the last couple of years with the Nexus angle and with Punk, you know, kind of going off the rails last year with his shoot angle stuff, where they had, you know, especially in that Punk angle, they had great potential to maybe build up to something like that and then got cold feet and, you know, shied away from it. But, uh, you know I mean, just in the way the product is run now, you know, everybody's faced everybody else.
1: Uh,
0: there's there's just not much you can do with what's currently there.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I wonder if to some extent where the wrestling is just broken as well. Do you know what I mean by that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, 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 mean, I do think that's tough. Especially for us And somebody that's watched A ton of wrestling I know I feel that sometimes Where it feels like you get a sense That we've seen everything There is to see here Yeah uh, I mean I, I do think that's part of it But I definitely think there's a window Where wrestling could create new fans uh, It just have to be the right Act or angle Yeah That would catch fire Yeah
1: <clears throat> Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I get. I guess all of these points have been talked about a million times. You know, don't have a pay per view every month, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, yeah, it's well, just <laughs> tough to see. I mean, you know,
0: like uh, there's a pay per view this Sunday is in Atlanta, and <laughs> I mean, I'm not going, and uh, you know, yeah. quite frankly, not even excited about it. Even though you know, just to sort of totally detour. The Great American Bass Show, there is a new matchup. You know, you do have Ryback facing CM Punk for the title, which is, is, you know, in some ways kind of interesting to see what they do and how they play that because it does feel like a point of no return type uh, match where they either have to go all in on this new character or, you know, he's he's going to be greatly damaged if he loses, I think, to Punk right out of the gate in his first major chance. Uh, so, so in that respect, it is interesting to see, but then just the other matches on the card, you know, while I'm sure the wrestling will be very good, uh, you know, the Seamus versus the big show interest me. None Randy Orton versus Alberto Del Rio. I have no idea how many times them people have faced each other, but it feels like it's about a hundred. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it feels like we've seen that match. I mean, you, You could tell me they've only wrestled twice. You could tell me they've wrestled 25 times. And I wouldn't be surprised either way. And I think that's more of a problem. uh, You know, more than how many times they actually have wrestled. It just really feels like these are the same two people just going out there because we have nothing else better. You know, they just circle around each other.
1: Yeah, I mean, you've got this weird thing where the WWE is still set up as if it's fighting the Monday Night Wars. Obviously it's not. Do, do, do you know what I mean? The the entire structure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, is, what what yeah. they did.
0: Uh, catch a lot of the show Monday, uh, more than I probably had in a couple of months, uh, just because I got real burnout. Um, or And you know, the the. I mean, I really enjoyed the tag team matchups, and it seemed like they were doing some different stuff. But I mean, you know, Monday night they had a champion versus champion match. Which, there's just no, there's no reason for your two world champions no. to be fighting each other on a Monday night. And, you know, it got the second lowest rating of the year. But so what, what does that tell you? I mean, that obviously did not work. Uh, yeah. You know, nobody cared that it's champion versus champion. That's been so diminished because of how many times they've done it that that's a non-factor now. Yeah. And it it can get depressing, no doubt.
1: Yeah, and And the fact that. You know, half of each of the rosters have both been champ at some point as well. You know right. I mean? like, right. Sure. Anyway, we we could talk all day about the uh, ills of the current product. I I only catch like one or two shows, you know, every few months. But you know, for a long time, whatever I see just depresses me, and it and it just confirms everything I've thought for almost a decade now. Anyway, <laughs> so, let's get back to the Great American Bash. Um I have a I have a couple more Meltzer notes here. Um the um th- this uh, tour was a great financial success for Crockett apparently. Um th- the uh Orange Bowl show was a record gate for South Florida, um drawing uh, 16,000 um and um What else happened around this time? Um... Paul Bosch retired at the age of 74, after 50 years in the business. He only booked four shows for uh, Vince, um, then sold his company to Titan. So, um... That that, um, move of Paul Bosch didn't last long, and he retired. Apparently he wasn't wasn't having fun anymore, uh, booking and whatnot, so... um, he gave up, and then mike graham um who tragically committed suicide uh very recently um he apparently no showed this show, as did a number of other people um including black Jack mulligan so that there, there were uh Meltzer says that there is an unusual amount of people who no showed um the uh kind of bash tour. Okay, so the next match here was the main event at the Memorial Stadium, the Charlotte Show, Dusty Rhodes versus Tully Blanchard, for get this, hundred thousand um, dollars. In a, I guess I guess uh, the modern fan would see this as a money in the bank match, wouldn't they, or something? Is <laughs> it, it, it this? Uh, this money is dangling um, in a in a sack um, above the ring, which they have to climb, they they have to get a ladder to climb up it. Um, and the, and the ring is surrounded by barbed wire. What What is a, have I got this wrong, is a money in the, they do have to get it from a, it's like an old ladder match, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I mean, the money in the bank, they hang a briefcase, uh, same type of concept, is this match essentially except uh, in the Money in the Bank is a contract, which is kind of ironic yeah. uh, that they call it Money in the Bank, but it's it's just I guess the mother guaranteeing you know a, a title world title match well, uh, any time any place.
1: Well, this was like a sack with a dollar sign on there. Yeah, yeah,
0: like... <laughs> this was a sack uh, hanging down, um, you know, looked like almost if you could jump real high, a high jump, you can reach it, uh, Um, just from the ring.
1: Something greatly amused me at the start of this match, which was that Dusty Rhodes was announced (laughs) at 285 pounds, which is (laughs) utter bullshit, which is ridiculous. Weighing 285 pounds from Austin,
0: Texas, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes!
1: That he he can't be two hundred and eighty five pounds, can he? Uh,
0: I would I would <laughs> say unless Dusty's about five foot four, uh he is north of two eighty five. Speaking yeah. f- from somebody that's I mean, I'm I'm six one, about two hundred and fifty five pounds currently. Uh, you know, by no means have an Adonis physique, but uh I would wager to say it's better than Dusty's and uh so I would say Dusty at least would have more than thirty pounds on me, um, in that regard.
1: Yeah, it, it just—I uh, think that's utter bullshit. That he's two eight five, and uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing that it was Dusty himself who said announce me at that weight.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely a possibility. Did you hear what Tolly was billed at? That would have been interesting.
1: It, it wasn't. If it, like
0: they, if they billed Tolly <laughs> at two fifty five and Dusty
1: at two. <laughs> Um, so, so so this is a Lights Out match, um, which is basically a, a, a ladder match, as far as I can see. Um, there's barbed wire all around the ring. Um, there's a, there's some sort of backstory here, where... Because um, we, we've seen these two have a number of these money matches uh, in the past um, few shows. And apparently J.J. Dillon stole the ten grand from uh, the match that they had before. Um, so now, somehow... This has escalated. I think he's um it, I think they signed a match where he you know, um the heels had to wager a certain amount, um and now this has become hundred grand somehow. Um Wyndham is in Dusty's corner. The both guys are in street clothes here. Um some dude in the crowd has got some uh, kind of machine. Did you hear this? There's like an odd eighties arcade tune coming from somewhere. Um, I did not
0: catch that.
1: Yeah, I I couldn't help but notice it. I th- I think it was like one of those um, uh, I don't know if you I don't know if you you remember them. Maybe you're t- too young, but there were these kind of like learning aid tools that you could get from Toys R Us, and they you know, they they were sort of computer learning aid things, and they played music that sounded like this um like this box. Maybe you don't remember what I was on about. Did did you ever see those?
0: no i'll think <laughs> that's before my time
1: um yeah like they they teach you how to like add up and or read or count or whatever it was um okay. dusty scrapes Tully's arm uh, against uh, the barbed wire now he um scrapes Tully's face against it this is pretty grisly. um dusty has a ladder uh, to try to get you know, the money um Quite unusual seeing a ladder match in 1987. Um, Dusty gets a DDT on Tully. Um, Tony again calls it that bulldog manoeuvre. Seemingly JR is not with him at this point. Tully goes um, up the ladder, but Dusty um, brings him back down. Um, Tully puts on a black glove and nails Rhodes um, in his injured eye with it. JJ uh, J. Dillon comes in um, and gives Tommy Young a punch. Dusty kicks the ladder from under Tully. Um, what else happens here? Um, get, he gets the glove and he nails uh, Tully with the glove and gets the money. Um, I thought this match, considering the setup, could have been a lot more brutal. <laughs> what did you think?
0: Uh, I mean, I, I actually thought. I mean the, the idea of Dusty Rhodes in a ladder match <laughs> is is a terrifying thought. I mean, it,
1: it, lean to much, it, <laughs> it,
0: Yeah, as much kudos as you got to give Dusty for thinking up war games, you have to wonder what the thought process was for uh, for him coming up with this match. Uh, as far as the actual match, what we saw was not not bad. Uh, the setup. Up to the final spots to the ladder was actually pretty good and better than I thought. With the arm work and the uh, eye, the dusty eye stuff that kind of comes into play with the starcade angle. But uh, then, then we get the actual ladder spots, which were very awkward. Uh, you know, this is the early infancy stages of ladder matches, so most of the spots were awkward. Dusty climbing was uh, extremely awkward and shaky. And again, I mean, the way this money was hanging down, I think he only had to go up about two or three steps on the ladder to grab the money, so it wasn't exactly, you know, a a feat. (laughs) It wasn't like Jeff Hardy, you know, climbing up 15 feet to come off a ladder. Uh, So this was not bad, but not very good either.
1: Meltzer is extremely critical of this match, and he, he actually says that people were walking out Damn.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I I think that's a little of, you know, just kind of a little smarky, you know, at this time. I, I, I mean, you know, the pop was obviously pretty big when Dusty won.
1: Yeah. I
0: think that's a little too critical of this match. I mean, I, did, I didn't think it was a travesty or anything, uh, but, you know, definitely not something memorable either.
1: Did, did you happen to spot uh, a black woman? Who was hanging out with um, with Tully here? That was Dark Journey. Apparently, she was a valet uh, with a horseman who was fired around this time. Um, She only. Well, she
0: was in the. She comes out with them in the war games too, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. She, she. she, I think she was fired the night after the Miami show.
0: Oh, nice.
1: (laughs) And um, yeah, I don't think she made it after that. Apparently she was just bringing nothing to the table at all, uh, and I mean, I guess they didn't need a valet, did they? Yeah, I mean, we certainly didn't
0: see anything from her on this tape. I don't, I don't, I don't. I couldn't even pick her out of the lineup.
1: So in the next, uh, in the next match, um, we get another cage match now, and it's Jimmy Garvin uh, versus Ric Flair for the world title, and if. Flair wins, he gets to spend a night with Precious, um, which is uh, a little bit creepy. Um, David Crockett is on commentary uh, with Tony Schiavone. Um Obviously, right at the start of the match, we get a very blatant clip, um, and Garvin is on top, uh, giving some chops. We get the low blow from Flair, um, using that move a lot in 1987. Uh, seemingly. <laughs> it's the signature low blow yet again. Um, we get a snapmare from Flair. Um, he goes to the top, uh, gets thrown down. Garvin gets two for that. Uh, puts on the figure four, gets two for it. Uh, really cinches in that figure four and gets another two. So, a series of near fours. Flair rakes the eyes to gain control. Um, goes for a suplex, but sees it reversed uh, into a roll-up for two. Um, Flair gives a couple of Flair chops um, and a gut punch. But Garvin comes back, Flair begs off, uh, eats the cage um, twice. And he's really bloodied now. We get a bit of cheese grater action. Uh, He gets his head bashed into the cage twice more. (laughs) Then um, Garvin punches Flair in the head ten times. Um, Garvin's very dominant here, I think. Um, So much so that Flair tries to escape the ring. He he actually tries to climb over the cage and escape, which is something we've seen him do before. The crowd goes absolutely wild, and I think that's because Garvin has pulled down Flair's trunks, um, and they can see his um, backside Rick Rude style. Uh, (laughs) We get some more cheese grater action. Um, Flair is really getting his ass kicked in this match. Um, Garvin just seems to be... um, Doing a routine leapfrog, and something happens, and his leg gives way. Um, it looks like he's pulled his knee or his knees gone out, um, which uh, really didn't look planned to me. Um, Flair then attacks the leg, um, and Garvin is just this leg seems to be gone, like it's like he can't walk on it at all. Um, and his selling of this made me think that it was legit, but Meltzer doesn't. Meltzer didn't mention it at all in his uh, kind of um, recap of the match. Ronnie Garvin comes out. Um, Flair thrusts his pelvis at Precious um, in the manner of Wayne and Garth from Wayne's World. Um, Flair shows. Um, Flair kind of slows the action right down now. And he's enjoying punishing uh, Garvin's injured leg. Um, Hope's spot is attempted, but Garvin... um, uh, You know, tries to make a comeback, but his leg gives way in the middle of it. Um, And I've just written here that if if this isn't legit, I think this is a tremendous selling job from from Jimmy Garvin. Um, Flair hits uh, a big knee drop on Garvin's knee, uh, which looks like it hurt. Garvin screams out in pain. Um, we get some uh, big flare chops now, Garvin fights back, um, Flair attempts uh, a nether cage escape. The crowd uh, is absolutely losing their shit yet again at the slight of um, Flair's exposed rear end. Um, Garvin gets uh 2 and the crowd is uh, really stoked now. Um, he goes for a brain bu- buster but the leg gives way. Um, this gives Flair the chance to put on the figure four. He pulls on the top rope for leverage. Um, and then someone jumps on the ring. <laughs> I couldn't work out. Is that, was that a fan, or was it right? Really th- I think that was a fan. It was a fan, right? Trying yeah, to get the, in the, ring. the way
0: he got yanked down, uh, and not making a, a notion. I mean, he really came out of nowhere and really almost scaled up into the cage, and I couldn't even see who, uh dragged him down. I know he kicked somebody off, but then somebody in a suit, I guess, I don't know if Doug Dillinger was around at this time, but the security comes in, and they slugged him around, but he he was close to getting in the cage, which was amazing, and, you know, as he's getting taken away, you can't really see, because the camera's on the other side, but Flair is... Staring at him, I don't know if he was barking <laughs> at him or what, but that was an interesting scene.
1: Yeah, the, the, I've only ever seen that once before, and it's the um, Randy Savage versus Ted DBRC cage match from '88. I think it's from the um, it's either from MSG or the Wrestlefest show. I think it's MSG from that year, and um, the a uh, fan the, uh, actually jumps on the cage, and he actually uh, attacks Virgil as well in that thing. In that particular match, but yeah, but this was—I um, actually thought it was might might be Ronnie Garvin for a while because it was really hard to tell because um, you know the sort of clothes he was wearing were the clothes that Ronnie Garvin would wear. <laughs> yeah, but um, I think I spotted Garvin was kind of um, actually standing there watching what was going on. So yeah,
0: Garvin Garvin's on the uh, one on a different side of the cage, kind of rattling the cage, uh, you know, pumping it up and down. Mm-hmm. But this, this is the actual finish of the
1: match. Yeah, so, so, so basically Flair wins as Garvin passes out with Bane, Um And Flair gets to spend uh, in theory, he gets to spend his night with Precious. Um, then Ron Garvin hits the ring and attacks him and Flair leaves uh, with the belt. Um, now, this match, for some reason, is really shit on by a lot of the reviews I've read. Um, and I don't Necessarily see why. Um, especially in the Scott Keith. <laughs> I mean, obviously, you need to take Scott Keith with a pinch of salt, but he's just got it in his mind that both um, Ronnie Garvin and Jimmy Garvin absolutely suck. Um, so he's not happy to kind of give anything they do credence. But um, I actually thought the um, story of this match was quite interesting. What did you think, Chad?
0: I I mean, I, I like this match a good bit also. One uh, little antidote before I talk about this match is uh, in 1999, I went and saw a house show in uh, Mobile, Alabama, and it was headlined by Flair versus Sting. And the spot that happened when Flair escaped the cage happened in this match where he had his pants pulled down uh, and showed his ass to the entire crowd and was running around. So we're talking about, you know, 50-year-old player at this point in time. And uh, this this was one of the few shows we were on vacation for spring break um, my whole family. Uh, so my mom actually went to the show along with my dad and my brother and You know, you kind of talk about these moments where sometimes we're embarrassed to be wrestling fans. And I think as long as I live, I'll remember the look on my mom's face by seeing this 50-year-old man's ass. You know, he did a complete circle around the ring strutting
1: uh, with
0: his pants pulled down, which was one of the most embarrassing moments of my life.
1: And he kind of started to sag at that point. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I mean, she just she just gave me a look like I can't believe you watched this crap. But uh, but as far as this match, uh, up up to Garvin's leg going out, I thought it was fine, but nothing extraordinary. Uh, Garvin's leg going out, and then the way Flair works over it, and the sense again the sense of urgency uh, that you hear from the crowd and the viciousness shown by Flair, I thought was really well done. I think yeah. it, I I don't think it was legit. I think Garvin did an excellent sell job of his leg. Uh Flair really played that up. uh his pelvic thrust at Precious was awesome. And uh just the last I guess 10 minutes of the match really uh, catapulted the match into a real you know from a, a a good match to I thought this was a great match what we saw I don't like to sing the thing in full.
1: Yeah, I mean I did, no, I, I agree. Um, th- th- my only criticism would be that Garvin I mean, really kicks Flair's ass at the start of it. I mean, he doesn't just, um, he's not just on top, he's really beating up Flair up pretty, you know, I think he's actually making, he makes him look a bit of a, um, uh, he may even make him look weak, you know. I i mean, I, I, know, I know Flair, um, tends to work from, uh, you know, from the bottom, uh, quite a lot, but, um... This seemed quite a severe beating uh, in the first. Yeah, I mean,
0: I, I don't know. I mean, you know, Jimmy Garvin versus Ric Flair on paper. I don't know how much many people really bought Garvin having a chance
1: yeah. going
0: in. So maybe this was done to establish that he could win the match. Uh, maybe
1: if,
0: if it was done that way. But yeah, he does really gain the advantage right up to when his knee goes out on the leapfrog spot.
1: I've, ne- I've never, I've si- never. If that was planned, though, I've never. Si- um, I can't remember too many matches where I've seen, um, um, a kind of, the, le- you know, trying to sell a legit injury that isn't caused by the opponent. So it was quite an interesting thing to, quite an interesting thing to try. Um, yeah, it happens
0: a couple times, and when it's done, when I've seen it done a couple times, and when it's done well, it's really done well. Uh, and this was a case where it was really done well.
1: Yeah, and he he really saw that leg well. Like it, you you believe that he couldn't stand on it, right? So anyway, um, the next match here, uh, we got a uh, the Midnight Express, U.S. champs, uh, versus the Rock and Roll Express, World champs, Tyeor versus Title. Rock and Roll Express have Big Bubba in their corner. Um, Jim Cornette is not there for some reason, and I couldn't um I couldn't actually figure out why he's not there. Um, it's not mentioned in, uh, in the, in the ones. Um, the Midnight Express are, uh, announced from the dark side. Gibson and Eaton lock up, um, to start off with. Um, Jim Ross is back on commentary, um, and he's really well placed, I think, to mention that this is one of the greatest rivalries the sport has ever known. Uh, because obviously he would have seen a lot of this stuff in, um... In Mid South, and he makes it feel like a big occasion, I think, um, with that comment. Um, Shivani gives a bit of analysis at the start here, and he says that in each exchange, um, Gibson was up before Eton, which I thought was quite an interesting. Uh, you know, Shivani's got these moments where he sounds like a sports analyst. Um, he only does it on occasion, but he has these, you know, every once in a while he'll, he'll give an insight um, and like, he strikes me as a guy who might like baseball or something. Is that- well, <laughs> he,
0: uh, you know, he now he is a, uh, he he d- he does call the Atlanta Braves minor league games. Does he? Yeah, yeah is, is and it- he, he works at a, a radio station. He does the sports in the mornings. A lot of times when I'm driving to work, uh, you hear, here's Tony Schiavone with the sports. And it gets... <laughs> Tony uh, talking about the sports headlines. So yeah. uh I've always liked him as the uh, analyst
1: role. Yeah. No he do he always comes across as a guy who's into sport. Um anyway, uh Lane uh Lane is in now and he nails Gibson with a kick, um but then eats an inziguri. Uh, I hope I haven't called that wrong. Um Morton uh comes in and he um gives an arm drag. Um and uh, there's a series of um, there's a series of kickups here, where um, Lane drags on his arm, uh, shoves him down to the mat, and then he he kicks back up. Um, anyway, L- Lane is down. Um, Ricky goes for a pin, but only gets one. Bob Eaton comes in. Uh, Gibson's back in. We get um, an arm drag on Eaton. Um, Morton comes back in, and then <laughs> there's a w- Really strange spot where he stands on Eaton's shoulders. Did you see that? What was it? Mm-hmm. What was going on here? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if
0: he was trying to kind of flip through him or he, he sort of just came over the top of him. Uh, kind of interesting. Yeah. Not something you see very much. We got a big. Where he yeah. sort of went to the opposite side of
1: him. Yeah, it was odd. he he literally actually stood on his shoulders. There. Yeah, he
0: just like <laughs> climbed over Eaton literally. Yeah.
1: We get a big backbreaker from Lane on Gibson. Um there's a double team now. Eaton needs Gibson to the outside um where he's nailed by Lane. Then we get the signature Swift tags in and out uh and some effective double teaming from the uh from the Midnight's. Gibson fights back um but it's just a hope spot. Um, but then he manages to roll, uh, he does like a, f- a front roll um, away through and gets the tag to Morton. Um, there's a double drop kick on lane, the ref is all tied up, Big Bubba comes in, um, Bossman slam on Morton, uh, but his hat comes off. And Tommy Young is about to do the free count and he spots the hat and calls for the instant DQ which is one of the best ref cores I've ever seen. Um, so, in my view, this was a good but not great match. What did you think?
0: Yeah, I mean, these, these guys have obviously had a ton of matches, ton of classic matches. Uh, we didn't get to see a lot here. What we saw, I'd say, I'd agree with your assessment. It was good, not great. Uh, just a couple of little interesting things would be that Gibson, was to face in peril, I know uh most times I associate uh Ricky Morton in that role, so that was a little bit of a a difference with this particular match, and he did a good job, I thought, yeah. and then the finish I did think was clever uh if you're going to do one of these kind of cheap finishes. I thought that was about as good as you could do it where the referee is you know sees the hat, he's not incompetent and uh you know I, I don't know if you noticed it but as as he was going to pin uh Stan Lane kind of gets up on the for any swiveling his head doing his dance yeah because uh he thinks they have the victory and it's just a great moment when he realizes <laughs> that uh they in fact lost the match yeah I did. he has he has a complete look of shock which was really well done
1: i i i like this hat business for two reasons uh, the first reason is um is that uh, for once Tommy Young is um, isn't a complete you know the ref isn't a complete idiot here um, and it's good to it's good to see that once in a while yeah. and the and the other thing is that it plays into this kind of narrative of um, Big Bubba being a little bit naive and the fact right that, and the fact that Jim Cornette isn't there to kind of um, you know you get the impression that if Jim Cornette was was there he wouldn't have made that mistake Do you know what I mean.
0: Right, yeah, that's a good assessment
1: also. So, finally we're um, onto the uh, Orange Bowl um, in Miami, and we get War Games 2, The Explosion. Same face team, um, Superpowers and the Roadies, but they're taking on the Four Horsemen and a masked man called um, the War Machine who is a rather large-looking man with a beard. Who who is that? Chad?
0: Big Boss Man!
1: (laughs) It's Big Boss Man yet again. Um, So, yeah, I mean, the story here is that um, Dylan got injured in that first match, and, um, you know, they needed a sub, and um, War Machine came in. You know, for a split second, I thought it might be uh, Ole Anderson (laughs) for some reason, um, because the beard seemed fuller than Boss Man's, but... Um, obviously, yeah, it's um it's big Bubba. Yeah,
0: now I know before in the last show Meltzer claimed that everybody knew it was Hector Guerrero at a laser tron. Yeah. And that, you know, I thought was kind of pretentious. But uh, you know, here I don't know <laughs> how good of a look the crowd got, but the uh before the beginning of the match you get a pretty good close up on the war machine and it it was You know, it's pretty obvious that uh, it's definitely Ray Trailer under the hood.
1: No, absolutely, and I was in kind of a couple. Like the only reason that I thought it couldn't be him is because he already had an on-screen role. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, yeah, I thought it was weird that they'd use a a kind of wrestler on the roster in a last man role and not and not make it into an angle in some way. Um, And um, because of that, I was thinking like, who could it be? Could be Ole Anderson, but he obviously Ole Anderson's not as fat as that. Um and then I I, I did thought across my mind that it could be one man gang. But um yeah, yeah it's obviously uh it's obviously trailer. Anyway, yet again it's Arn and Dusty to start. Um is on his own on commentary again. Dusty's on top, um just as last time. Uh Arne eats the cage several times but then he swings the momentum by attacking um, Dusty's perennially injured leg. Um, Anyway, Rhodes hits his DDT um, again. Arn hits a few punches. Dusty comes back with cheese grater action. Um, We get a a snap suplex inside the cage from Rhodes, which um, was a surprising spot. And then he goes into the figure four. Tony mentions that he can't quit Um, and that the rope won't help, which I thought was a nice comment, um, a reminder that, you know, this match can't end at this point, and Anderson has to take the punishment. Um, Dusty hits eight elbows, um, but just as he's decimating on, the war machine at 380 pounds is in. Um, he's big, fat, and quite slow, and, um... He he was noticeably slower here than when he's Big Bubba. I think really slow in this match. Yeah. He, um. Do you think that maybe because he's not used to working in a mask? I don't know. Could it that like-
0: I, 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 that may have been a problem which aggravated him. Um. I mean, I know sometimes wrestlers have commented just with a cage, you know, uh, enclosed surface, kinda it retains the heat. Uh, you know, obviously, yeah. this show was in the middle of summer. I don't know how hot it was that night, but they're you know they're sweating pretty good with the cage and with the hood. That might have caused a good bit of discomfort for uh, Bubba.
1: He, he, he just noticeably works this match slightly differently from his normal. Um, he's, he's noticeably slower, I thought. Um, anyway, he hits a knee from the top. Um, which, it, as I was watching it again, made me think, well, is that Ollie Anderson? Cause I just, like, wh- how many times has Big Bubba hit a knee from the top rope?
0: I don't know if that was a knee or a really terrible splash. I couldn't <laughs> really make splash? out. <laughs> I, th- I think he actually might have been going for a splash on the Dusty's leg, but it <laughs> looked awful. It
1: looked like a knee to me. Yeah, um,
0: it was pretty bad either way.
1: Hawk is in, uh, and he drop kicks the war machine. He gets a p- right in
0: the face.
1: Yeah, right in. Really good drop kick. Um, he power slams uh, Arn. Um, he does his signature kind of flying fist drop thing um, that Hawk does. Uh, uh, do you know that fist drop that Hawk does? I have never understood how it wouldn't hurt like him as well. Do you know what I mean? He he, he does that um, fist drop where he hits it with the like. Wouldn't he be taking out his own shoulder as he's as he's landing that? Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Uh, kind of a
0: lapse in logic. Uh, I mean, at least his forearm. Uh, he kind of has to post his forearm when he falls down. It doesn't look like it'd feel great on his regard, but I guess that's the risk he's willing to take.
1: Anyway, he gets a body slam on War Machine, uh, which is some power. Um, the faces are on top. We get neck breaker from uh, Hawk on Arn. Um, Flair is in. Uh, again, number three for for his team. Um he uh double teams Hawk with Arn um and uh he nails them both with a double clothesline. We get another low blow from uh from Flair, who's seemingly addicted to this move. Um Hawk eats the cage. Uh Dusty Rhodes uh is in. No, Dusty Dusty Rhodes uh, is already in the match. Um he hits Flair. And war machine with a flurry of uh, fists and elbows. Um, we flare has um, the figure four on Dusty as Nikita comes in and immediately right, yeah. t- he immediately takes a pile driver from Arn and no sells it. Um, <laughs> now considering his neck is injured, um, I was dubious about this no selling of a pile driver. And then he yeah. gets a sickle on Arn um, and then no sells all of Flair's right hands, and then sickles him. Um, Flair's head is bashed into the cage five times. Um, Ten punches on uh, Flair's head by Dusty. Ten punches on Arn's head by Nikita. Faces are just on fire. Um, Tully comes in, and he goes after Hawk. Then then he goes after Dusty, who Tony calls his uh, arch-enemy. And I guess they had been feuding for close to three years by this point. Right. Um, Tully swings from the cage uh, ceiling to kick Dusty um, in the mouth, which I thought was quite a clever little spot. Yes. Um, the War Machine um, is really shit and slow during this match, and uh, he takes a body slam from uh, Dusty Rhodes. Um, Animal comes in and nails absolutely everyone. There's just carnage. Total carnage in the ring. By this point, Um, we get yet another low blow from Flair on Hawk. So there's three already in this match. Um, Luger comes in, uh, and before long, he takes a shoulder block from Animal. Um, There's basically too much going on now for me to note what's happening. There's just bodies everywhere. Um, Paul Ellering comes in, and the match beyond uh, starts. Um, Ellering's got a spiked. Now Tony consistently calls this a wristband, but it looks like a shoulder pad to me. Why does why does Tony call it a wristband? Well, I, I
0: think it was just like the little thing that they kind of connected to their wrists. Uh, you know, not not kind of the traditional wristband. It's 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 you know longer in length than that. Yeah. But it was the one, not like their shoulder pads or whatever, but the little. Uh, They had these little wristbands that they did that kind of went up their forearm. I think that was one of those.
1: It was still pretty big, though, and covered in spikes. Yeah, yeah,
0: I mean, (laughs) it's kind of like one of the biker-type wristband things. Not a, you know, certainly not a traditional, like, wrestling uh, wristband that you think of, like the taped wrist or something like that.
1: So the war machine, though, takes four big clotheslines from all of the faces apart from uh, Ellering. Um, Animal puts the spikes into War Machine's eye. Um, holy fuck. <laughs> um, the bell goes and War Machine uh, submits. and um, We get a kind of ending montage with 80's music. Um, and I, I couldn't help but notice as the credit rolled but that Jim Riley is still on the credits. <laughs> uh, but he's still editing. I've noticed he's been demoted from the sole editor to only one of several editors now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, yeah, the, the second War Games match. Um, I thought uh, the War Machine was uh, terrible throughout this match, but was that enough to bring it down from being a five-star classic in your view? Uh, yeah, it was for me. Um,
0: I mean, I, I don't think this one was as good in execution as the first one. Uh, trading Ray Trailer for J.J. J. Dillon, on paper, to me, I'd make that trade, but he really was a detriment in this match. Uh, really slow with his offense, out of position a lot. I uh, thought Hawk uh, was a lot better in, in this match than in the first one, actually. Yeah, he was. Uh, but I thought Animal was worse, so that was kind of a trade-off. Mm-hmm. It was still a great match, just not as good as the original.
1: Yeah, I, I don't really understand why they put um, Trailer in there as the second man. You know, when when you yeah, tra- when you yeah,
0: tra- I'd i definitely put him in the end. Uh, that was definitely curious.
1: Did was was Luger even part of this match? What did Luger do in this match? I can't even remember. It, not
0: name. much. I mean, this one I, I I don't know how long lengthwise, but it seemed like with this one, you know, Luger was the last guy in, and in this match, it seemed like once the last guys were in, it was.
1: Oh, Maybe yeah. two
0: minutes to the end of the match. Where in the other one, it seemed like we at least got a few minutes of action after that.
1: Yeah, I mean, t- typically guys give the um, first War games match a five star rating, and then they'll give this one like a three, a four, and three quarters rating. But I, I think the gap is bigger than that. Personally,
0: yeah, yeah I would agree with that.
1: Okay, well, I think we've, uh, I think we've, um, finally got to the, <laughs> got to the end. Pretty good show overall. I think you'd agree. Um, yeah, one of the better good. ones we've done. Um, yeah, I
0: would say this and Starcade '85 are probably the two best shows we've done.
1: Yeah, I mean this is this is definitely got. I mean the fact that it's got more than one good match on it um, is is something. And um, I I think also that there's not many um, because we're seeing tour highlights. There's not many undercard guys who made the we made it to tape i i was actually have you actually looked at those undercards there are some very odd matches um that we didn't get to see like for example kevin Su- kevin sullivan vs. dory funk junior was a uh, part of the miami show mike Rotunda versus ivan koloff um uh where else was there there was um chris adams versus black bart i mean these these are Lasertron versus Mod Squad Spike was on the Omni undercard. Sting versus Thunderfoot One. <laughs> so it's quite a lot of uh, odd, um, odd matches that didn't make it to tape. So um, you know we're seeing highlights, and I think that probably bumps up the rating. You know we're seeing um, several main events or kind of upper card matches rather than, you know, matches with Cheska Watley and people like that in them.
0: Yeah, this is one of the last kind of montage shows we'll watch, so uh, they definitely kind of saved the last, best for last of this style uh, type video release, but uh, yeah, now from pretty much from here on out we get complete shows, so uh, we'll see it all in all its glory.
1: It'd be nice to see a couple of interviews as well. Um, That was one of the things that we haven't really seen any interviews really, since Starkade '83, when was the last time we got a promo from someone? Uh,
0: yeah, I think they may have done a couple of things, Starkade '84, but I mean, I know Starkade '83 was pretty much like half the video was interviews, so yeah. <laughs> we're definitely a far uh, ways from that.
1: But I guess we got the clashes coming up, and there'll definitely be some uh, some promos on the clash shows. Yeah. So I I think we've reached the the time to go through our. Uh, End of show awards. So, match of the match of the tape, I guess.
0: Uh, no, uh, no surprise. Uh, it's the first war games for me. Uh, a, one of the best matches I think we've seen yeah. going through these shows. Uh, just a classic match. Uh, you know, structured perfectly and real satisfying uh, conclusion.
1: Yeah, I, I can't. I can't disagree, really. It's- it's gotta be that war games match the um the only other match that is really in contention is the um in my view is probably the flair garvin match um but it's not it's just not in the same league to be honest so has to be the war games um m v p
0: uh, this one was one I kind of struggled with because uh, most of the contenders we saw in multiple matches. And I thought that uh, everybody I thought of, like Flair, I really liked in the cage match. But I, as I said in the beginning of the show, had some problems with uh, him in the first War Games and yeah. um, the way he was portrayed there. Uh, so I'm actually going with Tully, the old standby for uh <laughs> For MVP, uh, just in the first war games, I thought the way he did the catapult slingshot into the cage was clever. Yeah. Uh, in the second war games, he utilized the cage real well again. And in the Dusty ladder match, I, you know, like I said, I thought that match was actually not yeah. as horrific as you could imagine a Dusty Rhodes ladder match to be. So I think, yeah. uh, you know, considering the circumstances, that match turned out okay. So that's why I'm going with Tully.
1: Yeah, and he did do that thing where he swung from the cage. Ki- he did a kick swinging from the cage, which is a very yeah. inventive uh, move. Um, yeah, so, if in doubt, pick Tully Blanchard, is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's
0: that was <laughs> sort of my uh, reasoning. <laughs>
1: um, I, I'm going to go with... Uh, I think Jimmy Garvin's cell job on the leg is good enough for him to... Because it's very difficult to pick out standout workers from the war games. Right. Um, so I'm gonna go with Jimmy Garvin. I just think that it's um you know, the the fact that I had a question about it being a legit injury obviously means that he sold me.
0: Yeah, yeah. It was it was a great performance in that match for him. I mean you really thought some we really didn't talk a lot about, but you really did feel like he had a lot at stake also being the challenger in a title match with him losing precious. Uh, you really bought that he did not want that to happen
1: yeah and I mean as we'll see going forward that match I think is the catalyst for the Ronnie Garvin flair feud that um mm. finishes the year round and then finally we have the Billy Graham award
0: uh th- this again I thought was kind of tough because I didn't think uh, anybody was outright horrible on this tape and uh I know we've dug Paul Jones's army <laughs> Uh, at every single one of these releases and shows. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not picking anybody there. I'm actually gonna pick Paul Ellering, uh, as my pick. I, I thought he added not much, uh, to either War Games match. His yeah. kind of raking of the, the wristband or whatever in War Machine looked sort of cartoonish and not that vicious the way he did it. Yeah. Uh you know I th- I thought JJ clearly outclassed him as the managerial role. Uh I would I would say Bubba because of his performance in the second war games but I thought his spot in the tag match was well done. Uh so that's why I'll go with Paul Ellering. He didn't do anything, you know, completely offensive but uh I don't think he added much to either war games match.
1: Well, um what was the tag match with Bubba in it? I can't remember now. Oh no! Well, the, he, he, he him interfering. Yeah, yeah. I
0: thought that was a good spot for him, and uh, he looked good delivering the bossman slam. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean that, that that is sort of grasping at straws. But uh,
1: <laughs> I, I I mean, will you be upset if I pick him? Because I know your actual real life jams with him. <laughs>
0: no, yeah, I mean, Bubba was really bad in that. Uh, no, in and second war games match.
1: I, I think I'm gonna go with the war machine. Um, yeah. so I'm gonna I'll write it down as war machine. So ah. um it's Bubba as war machine was abysmal in that match. Yeah, he was uh, slow and looked sluggish and um I you know, didn't have to bring uh the match down and given that he's the only real difference between the first uh match and the second match. Um mm-hmm. you know, he's dragging down that match quite a bit. So, yeah, I'm going to go with War Machine for my Billy Graham Award. <laughs> uh, so, to, from here we have uh, Starcade, and then we're... That's it for 1987, right?
0: Yeah, I think Starcade's the uh, the next show we'll do. Uh, that'll be in 1987, and then that'll put us into 1988, where things from our standpoint will get a lot busier because uh, more pay-per-views are introduced and also the class shows
1: flash of the channel uh, So uh
0: or... I'm kind of looking forward to it but it <laughs> seems like we have a long ways to go <laughs> yeah. looking ahead now.
1: Yeah, we, we it's probably going to be like you know next christmas by the time we get to stockade 88.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean it's possible. We're we're on a decent um got some decent momentum with these two shows so maybe we can keep it up.
1: Yeah, we 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 should mention that um that Brian who is uh doing these shows with us is um is not able to take part anymore. He's got a new job and uh, suddenly find himself with less time to do these things, given that he has a kid as well. So thanks a lot for the stuff that you did with us, Brian. I thought your input to these shows was uh, great. And should you ever want to come back on, there'll always be a place for you on where the big boys play.
0: I echo those sentiments.
1: So thank you very much, Chad. All
0: right, thank you. Talk to you next time, Parv.
1: Fans, for all of us here at WCW Center Stage,
0: for Cowboy Bill Watts and the American Dream Dusty Rhodes, I'm Jim Ross saying good night, everybody. <laughs>